I wrote a lot about Ukraine and energy and sanctions to start this week's episode, but I've deleted it all. This is not the place. Events are moving too fast and I am no political expert. So this week I'll stick to sustainability news as usual, but let's not forget the people of Ukraine. If they are driven from their homes, I hope we will have the courage, the generosity and the humanity to welcome and support them. I hope that Western governments can take action to bring this conflict swiftly to an end. Hello, this is Anthony Day with the Sustainable Futures Report for Friday the 25th of February. This week I look at a battle for coal in Australia, the need for long-duration electricity storage, a UK government reminder about political impartiality in schools, green bonds and ghost flights. And what will the IPCC's latest report say when it's launched next week? First, a look at novel food and why it may not be on your plate for a while. A report from the National Library of Medicine tells us that insect consumption, entomophagy, is a potentially highly nutritious and healthy source of food with high fat, protein, vitamin, fibre and micronutrient content. At least 2 billion people globally eat insects, over 1900 edible species, though this habit is regarded negatively by others. Some researchers claim that insect consumption might be the solution to the global shortage of food. Most people who eat insects live in Asia. Insects are not at all attractive to Western consumers, although crickets and mealworms are increasingly available. Pulverised dried insects are sold as insect flour, which makes them more acceptable. Insects are relatively easy to farm, and a very high proportion of the food they eat is converted into edible product. Compare this with other animal food, where bones, skins and entrails are waste products, or at least largely unused for food. Insects in their entirety can be used for human food or added to livestock feed. Where can I buy some? The answer to that in the UK is problematical. The EU Commission originally proposed that generic authorisations should be issued for novel foods, including insects, which meant that a particular food would only need to be authorised once. However, the regulation finally agreed required each company providing the product to seek authorisation, meaning that each product could be authorised several times over. The UK, of course, has now left the EU, and as it did so, the Food Standards Agency, the FSA, indicated that it would require separate dossiers of evidence of safety to be submitted to them, irrespective of any outcomes from the European FSA novel food applications. In other words, any European approvals will be ignored, and insects are classified by the UK FSA as an unauthorised novel food. There are insect farms throughout the UK. They are all small businesses and unable to afford £70,000 or more for the laboratory testing and analysis and compilation of the evidence needed for approval. In any case, it is not clear whether they can legally trade while waiting the 18 months or so for authorisation to be completed. Existing businesses have been put into a sort of limbo 
since all this happened on the 31st of January 2021. On the one hand, since their products have been declared unauthorised novel food, they cannot get insurance. On the other hand, since they're not regulated directly by the FSA, but by local authorities, many of these businesses are still trading. As long as their local authorities have not been told specifically by the FSA to stop them. But presumably that could happen at any time. Meanwhile, the Woven Network, the trade body for insect farmers, has applied for approval for crickets and is preparing an application for mealworms. It's not clear how this will benefit the industry if each organisation has to make its own application. Jacob Rees-Mogg, MP, Minister of State for Brexit Opportunities, has called for suggestions for red tape that could be eliminated now that the UK is not part of the EU. Maybe the industry should suggest to him that the EU novel food regulations look-alike, operated by the FSA, should be scrapped, and that insects should be covered by standard food regulations as they are in countries like Australia and New Zealand. Talking of Australia, listener Carol Dance tells me about a takeover battle going on over there. Backed by the Brookfield Financial Group, billionaire Mike Cannon-Brooks has bid $3.5 billion for AGL Energy, the country's largest electricity generator, which alone accounts for 8% of the nation's emissions. Cannon-Brooks, reputedly the second richest Australian, is not an industry insider, having made his money from the software business. His plan is to invest some... 20 billion Australian dollars in decarbonising AGL and bringing it to net zero carbon emissions by 2030, five years earlier than the company's current plans. Mark Carney, former Bank of England governor and now vice chair of Brookfield, said energy transition will be one of the biggest investment opportunities of our lifetime. WWF welcomed the plan, but AGL management have dismissed the bid and criticised the plans for early decarbonisation as unrealistic. Nevertheless, the company's share price rose on the news and it's believed that investors are waiting for a better offer. Please keep us posted, Carol. Aurora Energy Research publishes its latest independent report which demonstrates the potentially critical role of long-duration electricity storage, LDES, in the United Kingdom to ensure energy security. The key findings of the report are that up to 24 gigawatts of LDES, equivalent to eight times the current installed capacity, could be needed to integrate wind power into a secure net-zero electricity system. LDES includes pumped storage and a range of innovative new technologies that can store electricity for four hours or more, such as liquid air energy storage, flow batteries and compressed air energy storage. The authors predict that introducing LDES in large quantities in Great Britain by 2035 could reduce carbon emissions by 10 megatons of CO2 per annum, reduce system costs by over a billion pounds per annum, and reduce reliance on gas by 50 terawatt hours per annum. However, they warn that additional policy is needed for large-scale deployment of LDES, 
through market mechanisms, regulation or investment support. In a word, government intervention. The UK government has this week issued a new guidance on political impartiality in schools. The introduction opens with the statement, This guidance does not include any new statutory requirements and is based on legal duties on political impartiality that have been in place for many years, leading many people to question why such guidance is needed. Some suggest it's because some school children wrote letters criticising the government. Here's the section on the climate crisis. Teaching about climate change and the scientific facts and evidence behind this would not constitute teaching about a political issue. Schools do not need to present misinformation, such as unsubstantiated claims that anthropogenic climate change is not occurring, to provide balance here. However, where teaching covers the potential solutions for tackling climate change, this may constitute a political issue. Different groups, including political parties and campaign groups, may have partisan political views on the best way to address climate change. This part of the topic should be taught in a balanced manner, with teachers not promoting any of the partisan political views covered to pupils. Are teachers allowed to explain the views of Extinction Rebellion, School Strike for Climate, Insulate Britain, WWF, Greenpeace, Friends of the Earth, the Green Party and all the rest? Are they allowed to draw comparisons between the policies of these groups and the actions of the government? The price of freedom is eternal vigilance. The Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has outlined proposals to secure more than £500 million for investing in climate action by issuing green bonds. The Mayor will authorise £86 million to support a substantial GLA green bond programme financing direct decarbonisation investment by the GLA Group, that's the Greater London Authority, and its strategic partners as part of the Mayor's green financing facility. There will be an additional £4 million to develop high-impact green investment opportunities for the public and private sectors. This investment will support projects making social housing and public buildings energy efficient, as well as clean local energy projects providing solar PV, heat pumps and district heating across London. By leading the way and committing an initial £90 million, the Mayor will help unlock over £500 million to finance such low-carbon projects. I'll watch this with interest. Aviation is a significant cause of greenhouse gas emissions and it is one of the most difficult, if not impossible, sectors to decarbonise. It can only rely on savings by other industry sectors to cushion its own impact on the environment. Airline operators are still nevertheless happy to forecast growth in air travel and to support airport expansion at Heathrow, Gatwick, Leeds, Bradford, Manston, Bristol, Luton and, no doubt, in many other locations across the world. During lockdown and restrictions brought in because of the pandemic, the number of people flying has dropped dramatically. However, airlines can only keep their landing slots if they actually use them. This means that thousands of empty flights have taken to the skies over the last 18 months or so, 
providing benefits to no one and adding pollution to the atmosphere. Some have described this as ecocide, deliberate damage to the environment. Alternatively, it could be called reckless stupidity. Either way, it needs to be stopped. And with that thought, I leave you for this week. The IPCC launches its latest report at a press conference next Monday, the 28th of February. It'll be a major item in next Friday's Sustainable Futures report, but it'll probably be overshadowed by the situation in Ukraine. Before I go, welcome to Anne Hodgson as the latest patron of the Sustainable Futures Report. Thanks for signing up, Anne. Do let me know what you think about the podcast, either via comments on Patreon at patreon.com SFR or with comments on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to join Anne as a patron, you'll find the details at patreon.com SFR. Until next time, stay safe. That was the Sustainable Futures Report. I'm Anthony Day.